Hello, and welcome to Siren Coffee and Science, a series of conversations on hot topics in health and social care integration, brought to you by the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network at the University of California, San Francisco. Today's episode was originally recorded as a live web event and has been lightly edited for this podcast. Welcome to Siren Coffee and Science. I'm Dr. Lauren Taylor, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the moment at New York University School of Medicine. Today's conversation continues to explore topics related to assistance. So when Siren speak, assistance refers to healthcare sector activities that aim to reduce social risk by providing or linking patients with relevant social services. I'm very excited today to be speaking this morning with Kelly Cronin, Deputy Administrator for Innovation and Partnership at the Administration for Community Living. I was just going to give you a little bit of a preview bio, which is a veritable acronym soup of government agencies related to healthcare. <laughs> so before joining ACL, you, <laughs> you served in a variety of other roles in the Department of Health and Human Services including the FDA, CMS, and ONC, Office of National Coordinator for Health IT, uh, where you are mostly coordinating health IT programs and policies associated with healthcare payment and delivery system reform. The team at Siren this morning has asked us to think about and talk about challenges around the emerging role of community resource referral platforms and how they're supporting healthcare-based activities to address social risks, which is a topic near and dear to my heart I feel not at all an expert in it yet, but it's something that I'm mulling on and chewing on. So I'm really excited to have the chance to pick your brain. And so Kelly, thanks so much for taking the time. I thought, you know, the topic here is community resource referral platforms, but I have to say, even in my mind, that can be a little bit of like a vague or underbounded topic, because on one hand, what comes to mind is someone who is actually looking for themselves and they're Googling or they're using some kind of service to find where's the nearest food pantry or something. That's like one thing that comes to mind. The other thing that comes to mind is some of these startup businesses, the NowPows, the Aunt Bertha's, the Unite Us's that are more of like a B2B or a business to business solution. And I just wondered, do you think that that bifurcation is real or legitimate, or is this all existing on a continuum? Like, how do you even think about the category? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think what we're seeing in the market and across a lot of states and communities is real growth in the B2B solutions in the last five years, maybe in particular the last two years. So a lot of our thinking has been more around the opportunity to connect healthcare, health plans, healthcare organizations the people they're serving to the community-based services that could help address their social needs. So I think that B2B is where there's been the most traction, but for those that are so motivated to be going sort of directly to, you know, services that they feel are going to help them. I mean, I do think in some cases, the way Aunt Bertha started in New York, they were, there was a little bit of a direct consumer there. And I think other potential startups and activities, even, even some things that have been funded through government would have uh, consumer-facing directories. So I think there are certainly differences, and one's definitely more direct consumer, where one's more like professional to professional getting connected. But the growth, at least from what I've seen, is more in the B2B. Can you just help us walk through the mechanics of what do you see as the value proposition? Who are the paying customers? Like, again, just to maybe orient folks who are coming on the line who haven't thought that much about 
this part of the assistance world or this part of you know, the social determinants of health conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it's been um, an evolution over the last 10 years, you know, after the Affordable Care Act and a lot more traction with healthcare going towards a value-based system and a lot of different alternative payment models and total cost of care models, um, bringing light to the fact that, wow, we really need to evolve to a more holistic model of care and think not just about good clinical care, but how do we meet more holistic needs? If somebody's food insecure and they're going back to the ER, you know, because they can't get food and they're diabetic or somebody's housing insecure or needs transportation, you know, that really has such a major impact on their health. And with academic thought leaders, there's so much awareness around that uh, in, in over many years. But I think from a, a, the business side of healthcare, there's more of an imperative to address these needs. And for those that are mission-driven organizations, there's really it's alignment with their mission to take a holistic model of care and really think about how do we become a more integrated system where it's not just here's the healthcare encounter, here's the healthcare experience, but how do we think about the continuum of that individual's experience and get them connected to services they need to improve their health? So I, I guess I look at it as an evolution that's really tracked with value-based care. As I understand it, most of these businesses are kind of entering the market and positioning themselves as of course, a platform, but also a go-between in some sense between healthcare, usually delivery organizations, but I guess sometimes payers, insurers too, and community-based organizations. So the direct social service delivery groups. So the food pantry, the housing organization, domestic violence shelter, et cetera. And again, my understanding to date, and from what I can tell, it's the healthcare side of the equation that is mostly paying up front. So they're the ones who are purchasing the enterprise licenses and saying, we as X health system are now, you know, an Aunt Bertha system, or we are, you know, we've bought into this software or platform. Are the community-based organizations also committing to one of these platforms, or do you see them as more having to kind of be ambidextrous or maybe even kind of multi-homing amongst a bunch of them? And do you have any thoughts on whether that will always be the case or we should be driving in the future to try and get community-based organizations to only be playing on one of these? Yeah, well, I think your, your observations are absolutely right that this has been driven because there's healthcare dollars that and healthcare decision-making that can make these new platforms get traction market. So they are absolutely their customers predominantly. And I don't think the CBOs have had much of a choice. They're participating in many of them. If the larger health systems or plans in their community are using them and they want to be responsive to the needs of the individuals they're serving, they aren't saying no to joining the platforms unless they're already at capacity. But it is creating a lot of complexity. It's duplicative spending often in a given community across plans and health systems, uh, which I think there's a good amount of awareness of now. Um, but it's not easy to fix because the, there's not necessarily a, like a purchasing, a aggregated purchasing power or agent on behalf of all those uh, healthcare entities in a given area. But we've been looking carefully at what are the solutions to make it easier for the CBOs where they wouldn't have to sign into three to five different platforms to get referrals. And sometimes it's for the same Medicare, Medicaid beneficiaries <laughs> within a given community. Uh, the state may be backing one and, and procuring for one system, but then the health system is procuring for another, and they're both serving the same Medicaid beneficiaries. So it is creating a lot of redundancy. And, you know, there's probably technical ways to simplify that a bit. 
which we've been looking into, whether it's sort of you know, a common approach to authentication and also trying to create more um, interoperability and exchange across the resource directories themselves. So we think, as I certainly do, that from CBO's perspective, having one platform that they were having to navigate on behalf of their clients was desirable. I could imagine kind of three roads to get there. One is there's some version of a top-down kind of government mandate that says, look, if you live in Suffolk County, Massachusetts, or you operate in Suffolk County, Massachusetts, we're all going with X platform. Another would be, it's not kind of top-down regulation, but it is the relevant health systems in a geography come together and say, look, there's a collective action problem. We're all going to agree on our own to commit to a single community resource referral platform. And then the third is, I think, maybe where you were going, which is, look, you don't all have to be on the same platform, but through some kind of top-down mandate, all the platforms need to be able to talk to each other easily enough that you have some version of kind of interoperability. Are all three of those viable paths that I laid out? And do you have a sense of which is more likely or more kind of pro-social? Yeah, what a great question. Well, I think in some cases, the first two have been tried in different ways, maybe not mandates, because I know there's a lot of authority to, for the state to mandate or a community mandate. Uh, the one example I think a lot of people are familiar with in North Carolina, NC Cares 360 has been implementing a solution that's been supported through their Medicaid waiver. And yet there's other large health systems, very large health systems in North Carolina, they're using a different platform. So it's even when you have like the influence of government and Medicaid across the state to say, here's what we want, um, or even like most recently in Virginia, it was sort of at the governor's level, CIO level, let's get a technology platform for the whole state. How that gets implemented is it's hard in practice to have everybody then convert to that platform, right? Because there's already contracts in place. If your largest academic medical centers are using a competitor, then they're not going to just drop that contract and try to, you know, integrate another solution. So, so the first one and the second one in concept seem like reasonable approaches, but I think we're too far along with the adoption of these products to think about might be realistic. So what we've been moving to in the last say six to 12 months is there's a reality that it's a, it's a vibrant growing market. We need to really move towards interoperability and because it's, growing fast and a lot of venture capitals behind it with ambitious goals, growth goals, uh, we need to really think about an explicit way to drive the adoption of technology standards, both for the community resource directories, but also the content of the data. So, you know, we don't create a lot of silos at, within a community because right now we sort of look at what's happening is there are a lot of wall gardens of exchange and connections, but uh, we need to move to something that's really going to be more open. Um, and, and I think related to that, a lot of the resource directory data has come from government-funded programs or philanthropy-funded programs like United Way and 211, where just some question about should that be accessed and then kept in a closed system? And then their mar your market valuation based on that closed system if we are looking at this as more of a social good or a public good to really try to help people in need. I mean, ultimately we have to think about the populations we're trying to reach and serve. We wanna be as efficient as possible because we don't yet have enough funding for the services themselves that they need to really improve their lives. So if we're thinking rationally about how best to spend the dollar that is being spent in this area, how most efficiently do we create these resources, make sure that they can be 
open and accessible and and then have some of that spend go on the services themselves, not just the technology. One of the terms you put on the table is public good, which is something that I've been thinking about a lot. It can be a term that has a very precise meaning in economics, right? Like it's non-rivalrous and non-excludable. And then it's used in the political economy and, and wider world in a little bit of a looser way. I just wonder what in the community resource referral platform world do you see as that's a public good and therefore that's what we need to be pulling out maybe of a pure market approach. Do you see a public good here? And if so, what is it? I mean, I think in some ways the data itself should be accessible to people who can, will be authorized, you know, to to have access to it first because privacy is really important, privacy and security. But um, to the extent that we're all really about trying to get people connected to services to improve their lives, I don't think we want to be setting up a, a competition between one technology solution that has a resource directory of a certain number of food banks, but maybe another solution that has a different set of food banks, right? Like we want everybody to know the the food bank universe that's out there, right? And who can get them home delivered meals and who can get them enrolled in in SNAP. And so to have visibility on all the community resources that are going to meet that person's needs. And even over time, who doesn't have a wait list? You know, where where are there benefits that can be immediately accessed um, to be able to deliver that and sustain that need? You know, I think I think that's ultimately something we'd like to see in an open data environment where people aren't competing on it, that as needed, you should be able to query and retrieve for that community resource data that you can get people connected to what they need. I wanted to maybe go back to when I laid out the three potential paths forward and you seem to say, you know, I think the third is the most practicable at this stage. Some folks are asking things like, so what kinds of interoperability standards might you expect to see or would you want to see? And I have to admit, as I said to you before, Kelly, this is where this conversation gets a little bit out of my depth. So as basic as you can make it for me, I would really appreciate it. But what kind of standards could you imagine? So many, but not maybe not all, are familiar with the Gravity Project, which was initially funded through RWJ and CSIRO was involved in sort of launching that. Um, It's now housed under Health Level 7, International Standards Setting Organization. And that's it's also under what they call fire accelerator, which means like fast healthcare and operability resources. So it's sort of the new direction or an emerging but definitive direction in um, healthcare interoperability standards, everything sort of API based. That body of work is really trying to standardize content and coding and a lot of what they call value sets, sort of ha- what across a lot of domains of SUH. So for food insecurity, for housing, financial insecurity social isolation, there's a spectrum of domains that they are tackling to say, here's a standard set of data that we should be coding consistently and exchanging when we are doing close-up referrals. They're also, as a part of these, they call them implementation guides. It's a way of bringing all the code and these standards together so you can implement them in their software products. They're also saying, okay, well, we can actually make sure we have a standard for the referral process itself. So you can, you can route that data in a, in a consistent way. And then the, the other sort of universe of standards that's related to this is the community resource 
directory standards and an API that sits on top of them. And the one that's most developed right now that we've been working with ONC to recognize as part of their interoperability standards advisory is the human services data specifications evolved over the last six years through the open referral initiative. We've also been um, incorporating that into a challenge competition we have going on for social care referral technologies, technology solutions. So, um, so there's a, a couple different buckets of standards that, uh, but a lot of it falls within the, the scope of the Gravity Project, um, but the resource directories and the, the ability to exchange across resource directories is more that human services data specification. Or where do you see government of any level having like the leverage to really say, okay, these are the standards, comply or else. Like where does that get yeah. slipped into a policy somewhere? Yeah, I mean, well, that's a lot of the work that was done in ONC and CMS over the last, you know, 12 years or so. And so there's a path to follow, right? In terms of what's possible, there's authority under the Office of National Coordinators, regulatory authority to certify, do standards and certification for health IT. That's one vehicle to use to say, okay, if you have these functions for a social care referral process um, or for a directory, there are a set of standards you need to use and then get certified for that. And then if you're certified, at least following the analogy of the EHR incentives program, you can tie it then to CMS levers. So it can be recognized in CMS rulemaking. So it could be a function of what goes into some of their payment regulations, hospital, physician, Medicaid managed care, there's also Medicaid spend sometimes on these platforms that could be like more of a procurement-based approach of what uh, CMCS or, or our Medicaid colleagues at a federal level permit spending at a state level on various IT solutions that, and those, those, that spend can be tied to interoperability expectations. So there's a variety of ways you can get at it to try to sort of create expectations and Certification usually takes that extra step to actually you have to prove as a technology vendor, you have to prove that you're actually using those standards. So it's a little bit like an extra assurance as opposed to just sort of do self-attestation that, yeah, I'm adopting these. The other thing I've been thinking on is you've mentioned the EHR precedent, and I think that's the precedent that people naturally go to here to worry in particular about clunky monopolies or duopolies and say like, I could imagine a listener saying, Lauren Kelly, you were all very enthusiastic about driving towards a single platform because that makes life easier, especially for the CBOs. But then don't we wind up in a world where, you know, we're all living under the, the powers of a single mega business who doesn't really have any incentive to innovate or compete. So how do you think about balancing the ease of use that we want to create for particularly the CBOs and the efficiency we could get from having a limited number of players with the concern, the very legitimate concerns that people might have about reliving some of the mistakes of the EHR past? Yeah, well, that's, that's a big question because there was a lot of lot of layers to what went right and wrong on <laughs> the EHR incentives program and the approach to it. Just, just a brief point about history there is that, you know, in 2004, 2005, the strategy really was to invest first in interoperability and networking and then phase in sort of EHR adoption when we were further along and had more mature standards and they, EHRs can really connect to each other. But the way that the laws ended up getting enacted and, and implemented, uh, we sort of pushed the dial forward with EHR implementation without having a lot of maturity with standards and, and networking. So that sort of led us to a lot of, you know, EHR silos really that we're still trying to course correct for. So here we're in a similar situation where we have somewhat similar in that we have a lot of 
these vendors with a lot of market traction without standardized products because the standards didn't exist. I mean, you can't fault them in that. There was no like mature set of gravity standards to say, okay, we're going to use this, right? Or we have already have an open map um, mapping of taxonomies between the 2-1 LA taxonomy that's used for what a lot of people consider heirs to um, the taxonomies that might be used by all these vendors. Like the, these tools, these centers weren't out there when they were getting a lot of their initial VC and, and also just their initial set of contracts. So they were implementing with their own proprietary solutions, doing interesting, good work, a lot of innovation, but it's created silos. And so now we're looking back to say, okay, well, we are where we are. We know what we learned from the HR experience. How do we do some quick course corrections so that we're not perpetuating a lot of silos? Um, so how do we make it easier for the CBOs to have potentially as a way of getting authenticated and getting on these systems in a more streamlined way? How do we think about a universe of resource directories that could be more interoperable and share data with each other so that they're not competing on the, the content of what's in their directories? So I do think that we are trying to figure out sort of based on the experience of the past, what's the right role of government? What's the right role for industry collaboration? I think we do see some emerging interest, you know, uh, in interoperability among the referral uh, technology vendors, which is promising. And so we hope there's a collaborative solution here. Um, and I think a lot of healthcare leaders are also very much wanting to solve for the problem. Also, Many very, you know, for the right reasons, wanting to make sure that all the money isn't being spent just on the technology, but they're really getting money for services, right? So whatever, Alva under Medicare, Medicaid, and other payment um, streams that they could actually start to build this linkages and not just the technology connection, but um, actually create a more integrated system that includes financing and sustainability and, and all the workflow and workforce that's needed. Because while the other aspect of this is, it's great to have the technology closed loop, but you need to actually know who's gonna be receiving the referral and who's gonna be doing the sort of the social care coordination. Because usually, it's not usually just one need. Sometimes they often have multiple needs. And then how are you gonna follow up to make sure they have what they need? And a week or two later, if things are okay, or maybe they're at risk of eviction, you know, there's just, it's a fluid process, but the workforce component of this can't be underestimated. So it's, it's really good way beyond the technology itself. How hopeful are you about innovative community governance of these platforms or interoperability standards? And frankly, even as I ask the question, I'm like, I don't know exactly what that looks like in my own mind, but can you talk a little bit about how feasible or hopeful you are on that front and whether there are any examples out there that you might point folks to to say, here's a bright spot? I'm hopeful, but I also think it's essential. I don't think we're going to make this work without really good community governance. And I think in some cases, maybe that's been did or it's been part of maybe what technology company has sold to a large healthcare client, but in essence, it wasn't developed with the community leader in, in some instances. I think there's some that really have looked for the community anchor. I'll just call out Common Spirit because I think they've done a fabulous job of really recognizing the role of the community and a community anchor that really needs to make something work over time. Very similar to what we've been calling a network lead entity where you need that really good CBO leader that has all the trusted relationships in the community they have the business-to-business, community-to-community connections. They are best able to curate that network over time and manage it because they've known where all the best entities are to address the food insecurity and the housing needs. And you really need to empower them 
um, but also have them be part of that convening process. You can have that trusted shared governance, which is going to be essential to make this work. Any kind of collective action model is going to, where the financing is going to come from a lot of different public and potentially private sources. And the braiding of that funding is going to be really essential. But without that community governance, it's going to be a lot more challenging. You are such a sage on this, and I really appreciate your time. So thank you also to all the listeners for joining us today. And those of you who joined us today may well be interested in coming back in just a week or two. June 18th is the next Coffee and Science webinar, where Rush University's Robin Golden and Bonnie Ewald will explore how social care can be provided virtually, a timely thing in the COVID era. That's all from us today. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Siren Coffee and Science series, a project of the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network at UCSF. Raven Forest Communications does our editing and sound design. Susan Shepard designed our cover art, and Aurelien Jukla composed our music. Laura Gottlieb, Dylan Gonzalez, and Yuri Cartier, that's me, produced the podcast and the live event series. Join us for our next live event by visiting sirenetwork.ucsf.edu. Questions or comments? Email us at siren at ucsf.edu. And lastly, let it be known that the views and opinions of the participants on this podcast do not necessarily state or reflect those of the regents of the University of California, UCSF, UCSF Medical Center, or any entities or units thereof. Take care.